Today we're starting a new series called Summer Blockbusters, and our, our first movie is Bedtime Stories. Anybody seen this? I figured very few of you have if you're over a certain age. The reason I did is because I still like going to the movies with my children, and, and it's a pretty good movie by Adam Sandler. Let me give you the basic premise. When Wendy's life unravels after her husband leaves her, she has to call on her brother, Skeeter, that's Adam Sandler, to watch over her two, her two children while she tries to get her life together. Uncle Skeeter is a very reluctant babysitter. He's not too good with kids until he discovers that he that the bedtime stories that he tells the children have an uncanny way of coming true. Thinking that he can capitalize on this twist of fate, Skeeter tries to manipulate the bedtime stories for his benefit. But he discovers that life has a way of complicating things. All right, so watch this first. We're going to give you an example. The first bedtime story he tells. Then we're going to go into what happens the next day when the bedtime story uh, comes true. And then we'll continue with the sermon. Watch this. Once upon a time, in a magical, faraway kingdom, there was a brave and noble knight, strikingly handsome, who lived in a grand castle that weary travelers from near and far would come and visit. Now, this knight had been working his butt off for years. You'd think he'd be a shoe-in to rule the castle, right? Right! Wrong! Actually, he wasn't even a knight at all. Oh, no. He was, in fact, just a lowly peasant. And even though he was the son of the late great Lord Marty, and knew everything there is to know about running a castle, everyone just took him for granted. His name was Mr. Underappreciated. What's underdemeciated? Underdemeciated. That's right, I forgot you were six. His name was Sir Fixalot. But alas, the kingdom where Sir Fixalot lived did not place much value on dedication or hard work, I guess, because the superstar in all the land was Sir Buttkiss. And he spent all his days kissing everybody's butt. And my lord, yes, of course I can get you front row house seats to the Lion King. <laughs> and Sir Fixalot had a best friend, Friar Fred, who was not right in the head. Never. No, no Al Queen. I won't have that. <laughs> were there any kids in the kingdom? Yes, yes, of course. There were two young pages, Mistress Stinky and Master Smell. Hey, yo. And don't forget. Julian, the queen of the fairies. Queen of the fairies? I mean, if she has to be there, let's just make her an angry raven. She should be a mermaid teacher. Yeah, the best mermaid teacher in the world. Children, open your books to page 16. Yes, Miss Mermaid. Let's begin. All right, she's a mermaid, whatever you want. Anyways, back to the story. One day, the king invited all his subjects to the castle. I bring glad tidings, for on this day I have chosen a champion who will run this castle and be my closest advisor and bestest buddy. My new champion is Sir Butkin! <laughs>
Sir Fix-a-Lot had been passed over. So Sir Fix-a-Lot moved into a giant shoe, got a bad case of athlete's face, dove into a moat, and got eaten by crocodiles. The end. The end? That can't be the end. Why? Why not? It's not happy. There aren't happy endings in real life. The sooner you guys know that, the better. It's not fair. What? what what's not fair? I mean, shouldn't Sir Fix-a-Lot at least get a shot to be champion? A shot? Hmm. If Sir Fix-a-Lot is better than Sir Buckus, he should get a chance to prove it. Okay, yeah, yeah, Bobby, good. What the king really said was... On second thought, there is another worthy man in my kingdom. And it wouldn't be fair unless he got a shot too. The Fixalot! And then the crowd went nuts. Well, yeah, Fixalot is as common as muck! And Friar Fred drop kicked a booing goblin. And the mermaid teacher did one of those weird tail dolphin moves. And Stinky and Smelly did the fastest Irish jig ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, right on. Prince Bugsy busted out some fancy moves. And then, and then... You started raining gumballs. Raining gumballs? Why not? It's a bedtime story. Anything can happen. Yeah, yeah, I guess in a story. I just wish it was like that in real life. I really do. What was that? Bugsy. Oh, he rings that bell when he's hungry? No, when he needs to go to sleep. Okay, as you wish, your highness. you know what this is? It's a Bible, right? And, and, and many of you have read it, right? It's not just that thing that sits, the big paperweight that sits on your uh, coffee table. Not that, not that big, huge thing. Well, a lot of people regard the Bible 
as as a book of stories, kind of bedtime stories, you know, tall tales and and fables, but just some stories that you know people that are kind of weak and and uh, can't really deal with life. They need a crutch, and so Christianity and God's word and all that stuff. They kind of look at it as as just some stories, um, but there's really not a lot of of uh, truth in what the Bible has to say. That's what a lot of people believe, and Skeeter would fall into that category. I'm guessing. Um, in our movie, Skeeter's very unhappy with his life. He's worked really long and hard, and all he is is a janitor um, at a big hotel, and he really wants the job. And instead of praying to God, what Skeeter does is he puts his faith in a bunch of bedtime stories. And uh, his stories become extremely self-serving whenever he realizes that they come true. So check out this second bedtime story and how his attitude changes thinking that what he tells in the story is going to come true. Watch this. Okay. Once upon a time in the Old West, before room service was even invented, there was a farmhand named Jeremiah Skeets. He was looking to get ahead in the world, but was having a problem with his current mode of transportation. <laughs> Someone once told Jeremiah that if he wanted to be the best, he'd have to ride the best. You mind showing me your finest horse? My ancestors believe horse spirit come down from mountain during time of fire, wind. Many brave warrior Walk a trail of moon bear. Okay, yeah, look, I just want to see your finest horse. Not a whole thing there. Sorry. I can do it. Right. Screaming rooster, bring out Ferrari! Ferrari! <laughs> oh, my! Oh, my, oh, my! Oh, look at that! Whoa! I would get automatic respect for riding such a beautiful animal, but I'm afraid that's just a bit out of my price range. Tell you what, white bread. I'll give you Ferrari for free! Booyah! The end. I love it. A brilliant story. So we got the Ferrari for free. I love that. I love that. A guy getting a free horse? That's not a good story. Where's the ark? There's no ark. I've not learned anything. Also, you've got a moral obligation to them. So what are they going to walk away from that with? I didn't know we were doing an after-school special. Why can't he do something a real gentleman would do? Like save a damsel in stress. Not a bad idea, Munchkin. Okay. So, uh, let's continue. Jeremiah was out for a ride when... Thing. 
Now, any of you gentlemen want to give the nice lady her stuff back? Not a chance, huh? Stop it! My hero. I like that. So Jeremiah, spirited Miss Davenport away to safety when she says, Shall we go drink some champagne in the nearby hot tub? <laughs> hot tub? I, uh, yeah. No, I was saying that because I wanted to see if you two were paying attention. What happened was Jeremiah dropped Miss Davenport off in the nearest town, safe and sound. However can I thank you, sir? Ah, uh, no thanks necessary, ma'am. But I do insist on expressing my gratitude in some manner. Fair enough. I'll take one hundred million dollars. The end. Let's hope it works. Very well written, brilliantly constructed. I loved it. Jeremiah wouldn't take money for doing a good deed. Uh, I know Jeremiah a lot better than you guys, and believe me, he'd be all over that. He loves money. Mm. I don't want that. Go back. Rewrite. Rewrite. Gentlemen don't get paid. Oh, will you just... Who's telling the story here? It should really end more like this. Well, I must give you some token of my appreciation. Oh, no. Perhaps a kiss? Touchdown. Then an angry dwarf kicks him. Ow! What the heck did you do that for? Because I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do nothing to you. The end. Now, um, any of us would like to be able to tell a bedtime story and get a hundred million dollars and a free red Ferrari, right? Do you ever treat God like that in your prayers? Do you ever? Um, boy, it got quiet fast. Um, I think that that a lot of times in our praying, there's not a lot of praising God, there's not a lot of thanking God, there's not a lot of uh, acknowledging what a great God we serve, you know, like the songs we sing, you're bigger than our than my imagination, uh, stronger than a world of dreams. You, uh, we, we may sing those songs, but we don't pray those types of prayers. Instead, we act a lot like spoiled children. Oh God, let me win the lottery. And we have this long list of things that we pray. God, if you'll do this and this and this and this and this. God, if you'll let me win the lottery, then I'll tithe. In fact, God, if you let me win a million bucks, I might give 11%. And God, if you'll... Uh, oh God, I'm so lonely. Would you give me a husband or a wife? You know that, that many times God is waiting to see if you're going to trust Him before He gives you anything? Oh, God, but if you'll do this, oh, God, there's this job. I need a new job. The job I'm in sucks. God, give me a new job, and then I'll serve you. Then I'll tithe. Tithe is 10%. God, if you'll do this and this and this and this. Nobody's done that, have they? Help me, God, and then I'll. That's the if-then praying. God, if you'll do this... Then I'll get serious about you. If you'll prove yourself to me. God proved himself 2,000 years ago on a cross. How, how much does he love us? This much. He, he died. He was innocent. And his blood purchased my life. And, and if you'll let him, it'll purchase your life. He's still got to prove himself to you? I think that's because we ignore this. 
Well, today I want to teach you to pray some very short to the point prayers that are probably different than this thing's driving me nuts. So y'all just get used to it. Um, maybe different than you've ever prayed before. But if you'll pray them, God's going to rock your world. But let me offer some caution. Word of warning. They're risky prayers. God's going to do some stuff if you pray these prayers. If you mean them. And if you have the courage, I am so sick of people saying that Christianity is for weak people because I'm going to show you some stuff that's, that's courageous. It's going to take courage to pray these prayers. If you have the courage to pray them, though, God will do some stuff that lasts for eternity. So the question I just got to ask you before I even show you any of these prayers are, do you want your life's work to die when you die? Or do you want your life's work to live on after you die? If you want it to live on, I do. If you want your life's work to live on, you can't be self-serving like Skeeter. You can't treat God like some genie in a bottle that you pull out when you need Him. There's some prayers I want to show you, and the first prayer is on your listening guide. Search me. Search me. Now, I don't know how many of you know about King David. King, was one of the, the, King David was one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament for Israel. Um, he was a man after God's own heart. He had some big-time mess-ups. He messes up with, with Bathsheba. Um, he has to confess his sin. I mean, he had some mess-ups. He wasn't a good parent, but he was one of the best kings, and he wrote most of the Psalms in the, in the Old Testament, Psalms that are just praises to God. And, and what we're going to look at is Psalm 139. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background about that. Psalm 139, the first thing that David says is, God, you know everything. You're incredible, God. Nothing that happens in this world confuses you or surprises you. You are an all-knowing God. That's the first six verses. It's broken down into four sets of six verses. In the next one, um, he says, you're an everywhere present God. You're, you're an uh, omnipresent God. He says, there is nowhere I can go in the universe, God, where I can hide from you. Darkness can't hide me. Light can't hide me. Caves, the depths of the ocean, nothing can hide me because you are an everywhere present God. And that is awesome to me because you're such an everywhere present God. That's the second six verses. The next six verses, he talks about how powerful God is in constructing us in our mother's wombs. This is where, you know, a lot of times I would tell teenagers to read this when they were struggling with who they are and struggling with self-worth and struggling with issues of do I matter? I said, go read Psalm 139, especially where it says that, God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There is no accident of a child. I said this a couple of weeks ago. There's no such thing as an illegitimate child. There may be illegitimate relationships, but the child that comes from that relationship is not illegitimate. God has a purpose for you. God knit you together. And, and David gets caught up. Praises gushing out of him as he thinks about this all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God. He says, God, you're just too wonderful. Woo! And then you get to that last six verses and, and there's kind of this huge shift in, in what he's saying. And so I gotta back up and, and read you a couple of, uh, a couple of verses before our search me verses. Because the change of his tone is so sudden, it's so abrupt that you, like, what happened to David? Check it out. Oh Lord, how I hate those who hate you. How I despise those who rebel against you. I hate them with a total hatred. I regard them as my enemies. You see, David is praying this prayer to God. He's putting pen to this prayer. And he's saying, God, you are so awesome. But I realize there are some people out there kind of shaking their fist at you. 
They, they are resisting the love that you have for them. And, and David gets defensive on God's behalf. David is bothered by the fact that many people aren't giving God his due. And he's thinking, how could anyone rebel against a God as good as you? And then immediately after those two verses, verses 21 and 22, is, is when he prays to search me. David abruptly changes gears again. And, and it's like he stops and says, oh no, search me, God. Look inside of me, because maybe there's still a little of fish shaking going on inside of me. God, search me. Maybe there's rebellion I'm not aware of. Search me. Show me, God. He realizes he's doing the exact thing he's accusing other people of doing. And he cries out to God. And he asks God to do this virus search in his life to expose any wrong attitude or action or even a thought. When you understand what it was that caused David to pray this prayer, it raises that prayer to kind of a higher category. This wasn't some casual little popcorn prayer that, that he threw up to God whenever he was in deep, desperate need. David was motivated in this prayer to do everything he could to become the man that God wanted him to be. Search me, O oh God. Forget other people. That's what we do a lot of times. Oh God, work on them. Oh God, my wife, you know, she's got some issues. Oh God, my boss. No, no, no. David gets to this point and he says, God, search me. Because maybe there's something I'm missing. Turn the spotlight on me. Oh God, search my heart and expose anything that offends you. Now, let me ask you, do you have the courage to pray that prayer? Oh God, search me. Because don't pray it if you don't want God to reveal some stuff. Because from what I understand of Scripture, the only perfect person to ever walk this earth was Jesus Christ. And so you and I don't fit that category. And so as long as I'm alive, there's this warring natures inside of me. There's the nature that wants to do what God wants. And there's this self-centered sin nature that wants to do what I want. And they are at war. And if you pray this prayer, God's going to turn His white, hot searchlight on your life and He's going to reveal some stuff to you. And when it's exposed, then you're going to have to do something about it. How many of you would be willing to pray the search me prayer because you want your life to be better, more fulfilling than it is right now? You want your worship of God to be pure and complete. Would you be willing? This is not a, this is not a weak prayer. It's not for the faint of heart. Now, if you pray the search me prayer, you almost have to pray the second prayer because they're kind of like companion prayers. Second prayer is break me. It's a follow-up to the first prayer. When God reveals something to you, you you got to be broken over the junk in your life. Ecclesiastes 3.3 says there's a time to tear down and a time to rebuild. There are times in our lives when God wants to build he wants to cement some things, some good things that are going on in our lives. So we pile up bricks and mortar and, and we make this monument to God. Happens a lot at youth camp. Happens a lot at, at uh, uh, conferences that we go to. God, God shows us some things that He wants us to cement in our lives. I love youth camp. But a lot of times we'll come back from youth camp and these kids will have gotten close to God because they don't have the TV, they don't have their, their video games, they're worshiping God every day, twice a day. <laughs> They're having quiet time where they read their Bibles and they pray to God. They're having church group time. And, and God reveals some stuff to teenagers. And I'm telling you, we're going to be at South Padre Island at the convention center. There's going to be thousands of kids. Get right with God. Youth camp is awesome. 
And then we got to come back to the real world. Had kids that would struggle with alcohol in my youth group days. And, and they'd say, I'm going to come back and I'm going to go to the plaza. I'm going to witness to my friends. I'm going to tell them that Jesus loves them. And I'd say, you're going by yourself? Well, sure. Me and God, we can handle it. Well, God can, but you can't. Because what would happen is if they went by themselves, what do they do? They're pulled down by all of their friends. And the temptation becomes to... I said, call me. I'll go with you. You going to get drunk while I'm standing there? Probably not. They wouldn't call. And, and what would happen was usually within two to three weeks, they'd fall back into old habits. You see, there's a time that God wants to tear down the bad habits that are going on in your life, the bad thoughts, the bad attitudes, the things that you've built up. And God says, you know, the only thing that's needed here is a sledgehammer to break up the junk that's going on. Just smash them up, a time to tear down. You remember, if you've read in the New Testament, you've probably heard about the woman caught in adultery. The religious leaders bring her to Jesus, not the dude, because it was just as bad for the dude to be caught in adultery, but they didn't bring him. They brought the woman. They threw her down at Jesus' feet, hoping that Jesus would condemn her. But what Jesus does is He condemns the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. And then in the story, they just kind of fade away. They just walk away slowly because they realize that they're not, they're not going to win if they challenge Jesus on this deal. And so what happens is Jesus is left there with this woman caught in the act of adultery. And the law said, you kill her, you stone her, you throw rocks at her until she's dead. Pile them up as a, as a symbol to others. Don't you do adultery because you'll die. If you know the story, do you remember what Jesus said? He looks down and he says, where are those who condemn you? She's like, I don't know. Jesus says, one of the coolest things you can hear if you're a sinner. Neither do I condemn you. But he didn't stop there. The last words he said to her were, go and sin no more. He didn't gloss over the fact that she'd been in an adulterous relationship, caught in the act of sexual immorality. He called it sin. He said, you need to break this pattern of sin in your life. Because if you don't break the pattern of sin in your life, it is going to destroy you. It's going to destroy people around you. Your family, other lives are going to be destroyed by this pattern of sin in your life. I don't condemn you, but you've got to break the pattern of sin. He called it sin. Jesus is kind and He's loving towards her, but His words penetrate through all of the excuses she might have had. His words break through. Now, if you have the courage to pray the break me prayer today, could you identify what needs to be broken? What is it that has its hooks in you so deep that's keeping you from growing spiritually like you should? For some of you, it's a spirit of fear. You just don't trust God enough to let go. You don't trust that God could... Um, could comfort you and be your companion, whether you have a physical companion or not, a, an opposite sex companion or not. You don't believe God could do that. You don't believe that God could provide for your needs. You don't really believe that. Could be the spirit of fear. Could be the spirit of greed. It's my stuff. Nobody's going to tell me what to do about it. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's greed. That's a lot of pride thrown in there. Could it be pleasure? Could it be lust? 
Sooner or later, if you mean business as a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to say, search me, and he'll do it. But then you've got to pray the second prayer, and you've got to say, break me. When you see the stuff the way God sees it, the next prayer has to be, break me. And he will. I'm just going to tell you this up front. We're not going to sugarcoat anything. When he breaks you, it's going to hurt. But when you've been broken and you look back, you'll be so grateful to God that he loved you enough to break that hurtful habit. God's going to break you if you'll pray it. Third prayer. Stretch me. God, I'm no longer satisfied with the rut I'm in. I hate the status quo of my life. You created me to have this exciting life that matters for all eternity. But lately I've been stuck in the same old thing day in and day out, year in, year out. I'm tired. I'm stuck. God, please stretch me. If you were here last Sunday, you heard Wes talk about this. We were at the Catalyst One Day Conference and, and the guy said, you can't be in full-time Christian service and be a part-time Christian. And, and it just broke Wes. And I told you, as soon as the dude said, this prayer, this, this altar is open, Wes was at the front. And what he told me, what he told you guys last week was, man, I'm stuck. I'm reading my Bible. I'm spending time with God every day. I'm doing the Christian thing like I've always been taught I should do. And it's not very deep. He said, I don't want to be like that. He wanted to be stretched. There was a religious leader named Nicodemus. And it's a great story. If you want to read about it later, it's in John chapter 3. He uh, had heard Jesus teach and he'd seen some of his miracles and, and now he was kind of troubled in his heart. You see, Nicodemus was trained in religion. He'd been through the seminaries. He knew all the things that you were supposed to do. He knew all the traditions. But there was something about this Jesus that kept gnawing at him. Jesus was different than anyone he'd ever met and so finally he couldn't stand it anymore so he comes to Jesus at night and he basically says to Jesus, stretch my spiritual understanding. And boy, does Jesus blow his mind. See, what Jesus told him was rules and regulations, all these things that you think are so important as a religious leader, they don't mean jack. <laughs> he said it's only by being born again by the Holy Spirit that a person can get to heaven. Rules and regulations that you've been keeping, thinking you're going to heaven, that doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus says you need to experience the Christ. Jesus is saying to him, you need to experience me, God's Son. You need to pray uh, and ask for forgiveness from your sins and you need to ask me, the Son of God, to be the leader of your life. And then you accept salvation as a free gift. It's a good thing that Nicodemus was willing to come even at night to Jesus because he might have missed heaven if he'd stayed away. If he'd not been willing to be stretched by Jesus. And I wonder how many of the other religious leaders, the, guy who, the guys who knew all this stuff, they knew the Old Testament, they could quote it. Almost the entire Old Testament. They could quote word for word. I wonder how many of them are in hell because they refuse to be stretched by God. And if some of us don't pray this prayer, stretch me, we're going to miss heaven. But the scarier thing from my perspective, it's scary for you to miss heaven. The scarier thing from my perspective is there are people you're supposed to lead to heaven that are going to miss heaven because you refuse to be stretched by God. It doesn't just affect you. It affects families and neighborhoods and communities and job places. Will you be stretched by God? 
Because you've been chosen by God to lead others to heaven. Will you allow Him to stretch you beyond your comfort zone? So where do you need to be stretched today? Does your marriage need to be stretched? What about your career or your spiritual life? Would you be willing to pray the stretch me prayer and just see where it goes? What do you got to lose? Well, Skeeter comes back to uh, his bedtime story realizing that life sometimes throws some uh, unexpected things into the mix. And watch what he what he does in this story trying to get things back going the way he wants them to go. Let us begin. The greatest of all the heroes in ancient Greece was, of course, Skeeter King. He was truly amazing, yet totally underrated, and had been ignored for years. Finally, Skeeticus had his chance to show his skills in the Grand Arena. If he could impress the daughter of the Emperor, he knew he would one day rule the land. That's pretty fancy challenge work for a peasant. I see London, I see France, I see my golden underpants! supposedly founded the Olympics. Well, Skeeticus invented the X Games. Tell me, does Skeetakiss get the girl he was after? In these stories, the hero always gets the fairest man in the land. Yes, yes, you said it. Okay, so it's going to happen. All right, so what, they're thirsty? They go off for drinks or something? A little wine and cheese action? Yeah? Yeah, they can go to an old tavern. And guess who's there? Led Zeppelin. Say Led Zeppelin, please. No, all the girls that were mean to Skeetakiss growing up. What are you talking about? Nobody was ever mean to Skeetakiss growing up. He was like the coolest guy in school. That's not what Mom said. All right, everybody was mean to Skeetakiss. He had problems. All right, tell your story. Oh, my God. They see he is now with the fairest maiden in all the land, and they are really jealous. So jealous that they don't even know what to do. They just start nervously doing the hokey pokey. Put your right hand in, you put your right hand out, you put your right hand in, and you shake it all about. Okay. So then, Skeeticus takes his date out to the beach. All of a sudden, a big hairy guy washes up on shore, passed out. 
Why a hairy guy? I don't get it. Just cause. He had something stuck in his throat and he wasn't breathing. Thanks. He's okay. And Nate starts pouring so they run into a magical cave. Caves are nice. And Abe Lincoln's there. Abe Lincoln? What is this, a joke to you? What the heck's the matter with you? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to yell. I, I just, I, the Abe Lincoln thing, that's, that's, that's a good idea. It's just that, that, the Skeeticus, get a kiss? Don't you think he should? It's been a long time for him. His lips are very dry. I'm not using them. Bugs him. You with me? We'll see. Now, she actually had a swimming suit on, but because we're committed to not having images up here that would cause anyone any struggles, we pixelated her out. Y'all didn't think that was funny. I did. The person who's always looking out for his own interests, I mean, Skeeter couldn't even let a story go by without trying to interject what he wanted. That type of person cannot be used by God because they're full of themselves. When we think we're strong, then we're really weak. The paradox of the Christian life is when I admit I'm weak, then God's power can come through me. So if you're full of yourself, God's not going to use you. You've got to be humble. And that leads us to the next prayer. Use me. You're saying to God, if you pray this prayer, use me, God. You're saying, I'm making myself available for you to touch a life through me to meet a need through me, to do something great through me, to heal a hurt through me. I'm making my life available to you, God. Use it as you see fit. I wonder how many of us pray use me prayers very often. And, and here's the thing I'll promise you, is if you'll pray that prayer, you'll find yourself saying to God, when can we do this again? This was really cool. When you do something that God created you to do, you get fulfillment. You lay your head down on the pillow at night saying, oh man, that was awesome, God. When can we do it again? I'll give you just a very simple example. Nate calls me the other day, Nathan, our drummer. And he calls me and says, hey, and, it's, and I love this. I didn't even ask his permission. Can I do this, Nate? Thanks. Um, Nate calls me, and, and I love it when Nathan calls with a, with a spiritual question, because I know that God's working in his life. So he just, he'd read a story from the Old Testament, he said, hey, read this. And I said, well, let me go read it, and, and, and let's talk about it. We had this long conversation, long conversation. And when we finished, I hung up the phone, and, and I was about to go in the bank. I'm like, dude, I, I need to go in the bank now, cash some checks. So I go in the bank, but as I'm walking in, no, no lie, I, I said, thank you, God. For, for allowing me in on what you're doing in Nathan's life. The coolest thing in the world is to see God working in someone else's life. Nate's not perfect. I'm not perfect. But when I see God working, I get pumped. And I want to do it again. I'm willing to bet if you will pray that prayer, God, use me however you see fit. But here's what you got to do. When you pray that prayer, you have to watch what happens next. Because a lot of times people say, oh, God, use me. And then stuff comes across your path all the time. There's all of these divine appointments with people God puts there. I could ask you at the end of the week, how'd your life go? Ah, uh, same old. Nobody came across... You prayed that prayer and nobody came across your path? Uh, no. 
And I'm willing to bet if I were to go in and do an investigation with you about the people God brought across your life, there were folks there, but you missed them. Oh, God, use me. But you want God to use you in the way you want to be used instead of the way God... You see, God's plan is always bigger than our plan. God's plan is always harder than our plan. God's plan is always more fulfilling than our plan because He's God and we're not. And when I put my life in God's hands, He brings people across my path. And, and there are days that I'll run around town and I'll see folks I haven't seen in years. And sometimes they'll stop me in the aisle at Walmart and they'll start telling me their problems. And if I'm paying attention, I'll say a quick prayer and I'll say, use me, God. Don't know how, use me. We have opportunities every day to be used by God to make a difference for all eternity. And we blow it because we are so self-focused. Let's get out of that. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. What this says is that, that God is scanning the earth like a radar. You know what He's looking for? He's looking for willing hearts that send up the use me signal. Because people are hurting all over the place. People are dying and going to hell all over the place. People need help everywhere. And God is looking for folks who will say, use me, God. And when you say that, He will put you in contact with somebody who needs you at that moment. And when you are used by God, you want to talk about fulfilling. You want to talk about goosebumps popping up on your arms and all down your legs when you are used in a divine appointment to change somebody's life. And it could be something so simple as changing a flat tire. It could be so simple as praying for somebody. It could be so simple as texting somebody out of the blue and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Send an email. How hard is that? It's real hard for people who are focused on themselves. It's not hard at all for folks who've prayed, God, search me, break me, stretch me, use me. If you say I'm available, God's going to hook you up with somebody and you're going to leave that encounter feeling like you did something that matters. Something that was important. It's powerful. So you have four dangerous prayers. And if you pray them, I'm just going to tell you up front, if you got the courage to pray them, you're going to be led in directions you've never been led before. There may be some chaos. There may be some downward mobility. But I can also promise you this. When you get to the other side, it may be a few months, it may be a few years down the road, but you'll look back and you'll say, I'm so glad. I prayed those prayers because my life would have been totally different if I hadn't had the courage to do that. God's going to take you on the ride of a lifetime. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? In a minute, I'm going to have you fill out your registration cards and I'm going to ask you to write down on the back of those cards which of those prayers you need to pray. And, and some of you are going to say, all of them. Well, that's a great spiritual answer that means nothing. I want you to get specific. Which one is it that you need to pray specifically today at this moment in 2009? Has it been a while since you've asked God to search you? If it has, then you probably haven't prayed the break me prayer. I'm willing to, pray, uh, to, to say you haven't prayed the stretch me prayer. A lot of people will say, use me, God, 
But that's kind of at the end of these prayers. God uses clean vessels and He's the one who cleans them up. So which one is it you need to pray today? Father, take this time and make a difference for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.